One of the most important skills that you can have in your relationship is the ability to come back online when you or your partner or both of you are triggered. Today, we're going to cover a very practical way to do just that. And while it may not feel entirely natural at first, once you get the hang of it, it becomes a powerful way to connect with your partner, to reconnect with your partner when things have gotten a little bit dicey. But first, I just want to remind you that the Relationship Alive podcast is an offering for you so that you can have the most amazing relationship possible. So if you're finding the show to be helpful, please consider a donation to help ensure that we can continue. To choose something that feels right for you, please visit neilsatin.com slash support or text the word support to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. And this week, I would especially like to thank Lita, Jordan, Cynthia, and Lara. Thank you so much for your generous and ongoing support of the Relationship Alive podcast. Now, one of the best ways to not get triggered with your partner is, of course, to improve the way that you communicate with them. And that's why I put together my free relationship communication guide, which gives you my top three secrets to staying connected, no matter how challenging it the thing is that you're talking about. So in order to download that guide for free, all you have to do is visit neilsatin.com slash relate or text the word relate to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. And finally, if you haven't joined us yet on Facebook and you're on Facebook, you can come join the Relationship Alive community where we've created a safe space for you to talk about what's going on with you in your relationship and to get some feedback from other people who listen to Relationship Alive and have lots of good things to offer. So that's the Relationship Alive community on Facebook. Hope to see you there. All right, I think that's it. It's time to get on with the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Relationship Alive. This is your host, Neil Satin. Today, we're going to dive into the question of what can you do in the moment when things are going off the rails with your partner to bring yourself and to help bring your partner back to presence, to balance, to safety, so that you can grow from there. I wanted to give you something really practical, and I also wanted to bring in someone really special to give you this something really practical. Her name is Gabrielle LaChiara, and she's been on the show once before, back in episode 16, in an episode entitled, uh, Expanding Your View of What's Possible in Your Relationship. And that's a very powerful episode. If you want to check it out, you can go to neilsatin.com slash infinity, and you'll hear in a moment why it's slash infinity. Um, but you can go there to listen to our last episode. But we're going to, we're going to build on that, but it's not required that you listen to that first, just so you know. 
Uh, Gabrielli is a great friend of mine, a close friend, a teacher who has been really a guide for me and Chloe for the past nearly five years. We've been in a training with her, learning about this combination of neural science and shamanism and energy work, kind of all blended together in a way that's really practical and has helped us do our healing work in the world. But it wouldn't be possible without what we've learned from Gabrielli LaChiara. And if you are interested in getting the detailed transcript from this episode, uh, along with all the links that we mention, you can visit neilsatin.com slash infinity2. Or, as always, you can text the word PASSION to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. So I'm really excited to have my friend and teacher here with us today, and we'll start with that question, and we'll take it from there, and who knows where we'll go. It's always exciting and unpredictable. So thank you so much for joining us today, Gabrielle. Thank you. Hi. Uh, hi. Yeah. Great. <laughs> great to have you here. It's so funny that episode 16, like that's practically ancient history for the podcast. <laughs> um, and yet, amusingly enough, I'm actually sitting in the very room where I started recording the podcast ages ago. Um, and, and we're back there. I think I've told everyone listening that Chloe and I moved recently. We're back in the big city. Uh-huh. So um, so in some ways, even having you on the show is also bringing things back full circle. Yeah. Um, but of course, even though we're back, it's always new and different. <laughs> so, um, and I feel like we know each other so much better than we did back then as well. So in our last conversation, we focused a lot on this question of um, how a lot of people find their way into relationship and then it's like they didn't get the memo that their partner actually isn't out to get them. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's a lot of what comes up. Like once people get through that honeymoon phase of just being blissed out on each other, mm-hmm. there's this tension that's often you could, you could sum up and translate as like, we're not on the same team. And right. so a lot of what we talked about was how do we bring people back onto the same team? And yet what is so challenging is even if you come from that place and you recognize it, we're on the same team, we're in this together. The thing is in a, in a moment where one or the other of you unintentionally or sometimes intentionally kind of ruptures the the safety of the relationship in whatever way that happens now it can feel like that person sitting across from you or next to you or in the other room is your is your enemy Hmm. you can just feel that way (laughs) even if you know intellectually that's not true so one of the initial inspirations for bringing you back on the show was to talk about this strategy, really, this technique that you've taught me and Chloe, and that comes from, um, I'm going to let you talk about where it comes from, but that's been so helpful when we can remember and make ourselves do it and bringing us back to the moment uh-huh. um, that we've called energizing or presencing 
Um, so maybe you could give us just a quick background on where this comes from, and then we'll talk about what it is and how to do it. That sounds like a good idea. I'm busy talking and I'm listening and I'm feeling and I'm having those memories of being on the call last time. And just first, I want to acknowledge and appreciate uh, the amount of time and energy and resourcing you've done to um, encourage and support healthy relationships, not only yours, but all of the people who listen. So I just feel I'm feeling kind of overwhelmed and um like crazy appreciative of the time and the care you've put into developing this, this, these resource guides. So that's, you know, that, that what, what, what that brings up for me is this kind of welling of gratitude. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because that welling of gratitude is, you know, both something that we occasionally have naturally, like in this moment, it came natural to me. It just welled up inside of like, whoa, there's so many people's lives are, changing or adjusting or growing or learning or evolving um, because of this contribution you're making and um, and for how long you've been doing that. So there's this this well of gratitude and um, what it what it reminds me of is um, my backyard when I was eight years old and I had a really good friend and I had a lot of really good friends but I can remember this one friend who used to come to my backyard and we would her name was cricket and we used to play croquet and she was the only friend I had ever had that um at that time that's that stood out for this one particular reason which is going to make total sense when I come back to answering your question because we would be playing this game and every time one of us did something well, the other one would celebrate it and start jumping up and down and we'd get really super silly and funny and playful. And And I had a lot of friends that I always had fun and laughed with, but this was probably the only friend that I that ever gave me compliments or that I would give compliments to for doing well. And I could remember how infectious it was that like, not only were we playing this game and that we weren't being competitive, which was its own thing. And I grew up with brothers who were really competitive. So that in and of itself was really fun. But I can remember this feeling in my heart that I would now describe almost like my spirit enlivening because there was this, there's nobody could do anything wrong. So it became an, an energy, a vibration of total success constantly. And so every time we played croquet, we were just feeding this, what felt to me like I was feeding my my soul and my heart with positivity. And so that memory flooded in. And, and if I think about where did energizing come and I fast forward, energizing came from, I actually learned the tool called energizing from the nurtured heart approach. Um, I found the nurtured heart approach in parenting, uh, which is, I also now use in school systems across the country and with families, but with everyone, with couples, with people, I found the nurtured heart approach at a time when the intensity in my home with my child was so exaggerated that I, and I knew something was wrong. And I would say to people, I just have to give more. I have to give more. He's not getting enough from me. And people around me were like, you're a parent who gives way too much to your child. Never mind, give them more. And I knew something was missing and I was craving this connection that I was trying to build with this human being that I felt like if I could just build it correctly, like if I could give him enough, maybe things wouldn't be so hard. 
And so I was pouring it in, maybe not in all the right places, but I was really devoted to try to pour it in connection. Uh, at the time that I found the Nurtured Heart Approach, I picked up the book and poured through it. And I was just fascinated with this idea of where does the energy go in our relationships? And how much time are we putting into and fuel and resource are we putting into what's going wrong? And not that there aren't boundaries or agreements or consequences that people need with each other in some way, restitutions, but that our, our actual energy, our resource of energy, emotions, uh, relationship becomes very quickly a paradigm where it's easy to focus on what's wrong. So that kind of sense that your partner's out to get you breeds more and more looking for the problems, more and more noticing the problems, more and more defining the problems. Like our resource, our, our energy, our emotions, our thoughts, and maybe you can identify with this, but I, I'm sure others can identify with this. You know, how many times do you walk away from your home or your partner and spend hours thinking about what you don't like about them or what went wrong or what you're angry about or planning the conversation you're going to have to confront some problem. I mean, does that, does that, do you know that space or do you know people that have that? Well, for sure. Uh, clients of mine are in that. I, I feel like some, as I hear you talk about that miraculously, I recognize that in my relationship with Chloe, that's really not a dynamic that I experience. Good. Good. At least and, not anymore. I mean, there were times right. where that was right. like really a big deal for us, but right. yeah, right. not currently. The concept of energizing was introduced in that way. Uh, what I realized is that what I had been craving all along was a way to feed the goodness, the greatness, the essence of my child and or of everybody. And it, what occurred to me is that my uh, everything in my life um, felt like it came into like focus with what's important to me is what's going right. What's important to me is um, how to build from good experiences. What's important to me is how to take a hard experience and learn from it. But all this positivity that was missing in my emotional dynamics with people. And so for me, the first platform was my child, but then it became this platform of life. And I've used it in businesses or with couples, or it's just... you know, this, this cornerstone of what does it take to feed more energy, more attention, more time and more resource into what is actually going right and into the values that you want to create in your dynamic. I'll take it to relationships in this way. I have this image of these grooves that people get into where we're stuck, where I may be frozen in a groove and the power struggle is, is ever present. And so we come home and we kick into it and we think about it. Sometimes we can take a break and be amazing, but then it kicks back in. And to me, energizing is like creating a whole nother groove, like a, a river of possibility and a place where no matter how hard it gets, there's so much in the well of what's going right and how I believe in you and the faith I have and the values we're aligned in. There's so much built, invested in the well that there's like a currency of positivity we can drink from. So, you know, you have a problem and you might dump the well halfway, but you don't, but you have a well to dump from, right? You can, to draw from. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. 
And I think when I reflect on what I just said about what's what's up with me and Chloe, I think part of that is that we have so much in the bank account. Yeah. That even when it's, you know, when we've had a lot going on, that the whole emotional set point of our relationship is so different now than it was right. in the in the earlier days. Right. And and that investment builds over time, just like the investment in negativity builds over time. So we know that the first time we have a problem, that doesn't win the whole relationship or we leave. Or if it does, we leave, you know, if it's that bad. But if we're sticking around and we're still having those um, negative experiences, we begin to create a bank account of negative experiences. The brain is um, it's pretty simple sometimes. And so it's very easy for the brain to catalog and remember the order of those experiences, or, or maybe not the order, but the magnitude of those experiences, like they build. And if we are constantly coming at the problem as a problem-focused relationship, we'll actually feed more problems. And that was the like, aha, like even if I'm talking about the problems nicely, which was more my style, which is to try to process and talk about the problems and problem solve and come up with solutions and think about what was happening and understand it differently. I was still talking about problems <laughs> and, and that meant that I was actually feeding the dynamism of the problem. I was giving it a lot of energy. Yeah. So in the, in, in, a, in the human brain, I think because we're designed for safety, it's pretty easy to scan and look for the problems. I think that's just natural. We want to make sure we're okay. So to look up and be like, what's going to go wrong? Like, I think we do that a lot, you know, driving down the road, walking somewhere, planning for something. We scan what's going wrong. I don't think that's unnatural. So energizing in a way, as much as we can be nice people, energizing might end up being somewhat unnatural to teach the brain and teach ourselves how to focus in on what's going right deliberately, consciously, with effort, with time, and to notice that in order to do that, we have to let something go. You know, we have to temporarily um, kind of shut off the addiction or attraction to the problem. Right. And that's what's so challenging when you're, uh, when you're in a triggered space because mm -hmm. you're, you're so locked in in that moment to the negative, like the part of your brain, that, that negative bias that's found the danger like right. it's locked in danger. Yeah. Da it's, and it's just saying danger over and over again until you find a way to get yourself out of it. Right. But, but the strategies that your brain knows automatically are somewhat primitive for getting very, you out of that. Right. Very primitive, very primitive. So we're, we're in fight, flight or freeze. And that's what we're doing. So when we look at that primal structure, you know, the question becomes, what does it take to comfort that? primal structure or to sidebar it because it, it, you're going to stop all the reactivity in a relationship. We're going to have that. Um, you know, we come in in a relationship. There's no way we get to earth without having a relationship. <laughs> you know, they're required. Like you're fused and formed through another human being. Right. It's like just that puts us in a state of understanding the impact that another human being can have on us. We know deep inside that people have the capacity to annihilate us. We know deep inside that our partners are capable of just wreaking havoc on us. We know that. And that becomes almost what we look for. Like, are you safe for me? Becomes a way that I look for all the problems to scan if I'm safe. And I almost want to find the problem so that I can like 
figure out whether or not you're really safe. And yet that in and of itself is a formula for creating um, travesties, you know, like crises, uh, problems, um, all kinds of like brokenness comes from running into the problems on purpose over and over and over again right right right. because if you're if you're looking for it and like that's where you're tuned in all the time then that gives so much more weight to the moments where you might say oh like see there there it is like i told you i wasn't safe and it and it just it it becomes this self-validating thing Mm -hmm. whereas if you weren't looking for evidence you would have so much more resilience into and in, in how you interpreted things that that maybe aren't are are coming at you crosswise right. but but in the context right. of am i safe or not then everything that comes at you crosswise becomes just that confirmation of like oh i guess i really am not safe right now right and and there's a there's a you know there's strategies all kinds of things that i think about in this conversation but one of them is like can I trust myself over the over a long period of time to be able to gauge and assess safety so if safety isn't every single dynamic that's happening or if my assessment of safety doesn't have to happen on every breath I take in this room it, it does require us and maybe we don't know you know relationships are changing so much in our culture we're not diving into relationships just for security or some of us are not and so if we're choosing a relationship for love we have even that much more on the line and what does it even mean there's not a template that has been around long enough that we can totally count on and it maybe one template doesn't work for everyone so there's this vulnerability and like what's it going to take for me personally this was my vulnerability to be able to assess appropriately whether or not someone's safe for me and on one hand I want to know right away and on another hand, I never want to know. Like, I both don't ever want to know that you're safe, unsafe for me, and I'm dying to find out right now that you're unsafe so I can blow it up and get out of here. Or I'm like, you know, so so how do I manage that? I think that's a real um, conundrum, again, in the primal brain. So on one hand, we're looking at a container that's a, that's a longer ranging Um So one being, can I put in some tools for myself? Where is my accountability? Who am I going to work with outside of my partnership to support me and being able to assess if this person really is safe for me? And can I allow my brain to relax a bit if I say like, okay, I'm going to take the next three months, six months, year, whatever, and, and begin to define what that means. Like how often is this person being, am I in conflict with them? And there's conflicts real or are they not real? Are they, you know, they over whether or not I moved my mug on the counter or are we actually, you know, diving into dynamics that are really um, uh, not okay and emotionally unhealthy, right? So there's all this context in that way. Coming back to the moment with you, I would say when we energize, what we're doing is building a platform so that we can get triggered and we don't get lost, so right. to me, energizing is a backdrop. It's like the screensaver. I want my, I want to feel like every time I rest my brain, I go to the the whole well, the whole investment. You know, I, I dive into the the, the um, all the delicious places where things have gone right, and that therefore, when something does go wrong, I can bounce back faster. So it's it's not we're never going to not be triggered by our partners. That would be insane to think we could do that. So can we find a safe way 
to get triggered, feel contracted, reset, bounce back, and then what do we step into? If there's not a well there that's healthy and vibrant and filled with um, not just great experiences, but meaning, deep purpose and meaning and values, then we have a harder time coming out of the conflict. Right, because it's like, what are you coming out to? Exactly. You don't have, you don't know how to get out. And when, as you were saying before, when the brain gets that fixated, it's, it's expecting trauma. You know, if we're in fight, flight and freeze, we think someone's dying. It's not, it's an expectation of trauma. It's, it's huge when we get that triggered. So in order to step out of that, the part of our brain that's not traumatized has to take over and look around and be like, but hey, look, all these things are okay. Like these things are safe and this person has met your values in that way and they're, they have kindness and here's how it shows. And look at all the moments where there's been respect and care given to one another. And so we need to have evidence of what's going right. And that evidence has to be so specific and clear and digestible, irrefutable in order for it to stick. And it has to therefore become a bigger pulse than the problems we have. Yeah. Yeah. So what would that look like? I mean, uh, maybe it's worth talking about how you set that as a backdrop. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. also, uh, you know, when I think on our experience, how that translates in a triggered moment, it's it's so, um, you know, becomes so stripped down to like the bare bones of of that. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Um. I'll I'll speak to both of those. So let me just speak to energizing first. Um, I'm I'm really fond of reboots, bounce backs, resets, whatever you want to call them. I love them. Even do-overs I love. I I love um, when we get to notice that we're off track. And to me, there's like a, a foundation also in an agreement that says, hey, if we get off track, here's the things we're going to do. You know, here's what we're going to do if we get off track. And anyone can cry uncle. Anyone can throw in the red flag. But once we're off track, whoever can reset first resets until the other person catches up. And usually that needs some agreements, like some basic structures of, um, okay, we're going to take either 10 minutes or two hours or two days, whatever it is. But at that point, when we come back together, how do we come back together? And that's the the connection to energizing. If we only do energizing when we've had a problem, we'll actually instigate more problems because as nice as that sounds, when we give each other a lot of positive feedback after we've blown out and the like makeup sex and all those things that people talk about, let's get in a fight and make it better. It's actually feeds that getting in a fight ends up in a good place. And so we want to be a little careful not to only do your, energizing and positive connections after there's been a problem. Yeah. I was also thinking of this kind of built in, uh, and not, this is the, the word conundrum is coming to me again, where if you only do it when you're having a problem, then when you're doing it, it would reinforce the like, Oh, right. We're having a problem right now. Right. Um, versus what you wanted to be reinforcing, which is no, the back, the backdrop of this problem is actually that we've, we're safe right now and we've got each other. Right, right. So, like, so, and then also partners, relationships knowing their limits. You know, part of resetting and rebooting is actually knowing when you're over your head. So, like, if you keep trying to tap, tackle a topic that becomes toxic or 
um, out of control or painful, then it's helpful to be able to recognize that either we're not strong enough yet to do this or we need help, right? Or it's just not the right timing. So when we put energizing in as the backdrop, and I think it would be helpful, it feels helpful to me to describe it a little bit. Yes. Um, But if we put energizing in as a backdrop, what we're doing is saying, okay, so let's return to our safety. Let's remember why we're in this relationship. Let's go back to the values and the things that bring us together and that each of us hold as like the goodness and greatness of who we are as people. And then let's rationally take a look when we're ready that whether or not we just need to take a topic off the table for a little while, you know, or it could be as simple as don't ever talk about that topic at dinner because we can't do that over food. Maybe there's triggers we don't know about, right? Or it could be as big as we're not going to be able to resolve that on our own. So let's get some therapy and help and support and put some pieces together that we might be missing, right? Right. Um, let me dive into energizing. Um uh, the Nurtured Heart Approach is, is it's a fabulous body of work, and it was designed uh, for parenting. And um, and again, I took it and started playing with it in schools and education, teachers, administrations, relationships, 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 because I love it. I just love it. And it struck the chord in me of that little girl that knew that when we meet each other out of competition and in, in positivity – the world just gets so much brighter and we all feel safer. So um, Howard Glasser is the founder of that. So I just will name that for him and people can look up his work if they want to. Um, and, um, and, but, but what I'll say about energizing that I thought was um, profound is that it's, first of all, it's easier to focus on the negative. That's more natural to our brains. Uh, when we are triggered, we usually can catalog like to the to the detail something that's going on so the brain does this thing where it's like you open the door then you looked at me and then you turned to the right then you turned to the left and you had on a black shirt and you and you went over there and then you went over here and we know everything that happened and all of that was the evidence that you hate me right and so when you in nurtured heart and in energizing there's this flip around which says wait a minute, I'm going to catalog the facts of the moment and I'm going to fine tune down to just the facts of a moment, not a big grandiose generalized thing. Um, The New York Times wrote an article about why praise and compliments were bad years ago. And it was interesting to me because I kind of get it. Like when you do a lot of empty, open praise and there's pain, We often don't believe the compliments and they can actually backfire on us. So if somebody's saying to me, that was amazing, you're great, and I feel insecure inside, I'm like, nah, you're wrong. I am just, I suck, you know? So in in energizing, the idea was to create safety. And the safety is the evidence, the irrefutable evidence that I'm really seeing you present and clear in this moment in time. And those are the facts, So they become those same kind of facts we use when we're upset, but they're when nothing's going wrong. The most amazing time to energize is when nothing's going right and nothing's going wrong. It's a neutral because we begin to say, oh, all the things that happen in between the amazing moments and the horrible moments count. They're important to me. Hmm. So we fact find simple like, hey, you're looking at me. You know, when you walked in the door, you weren't angry and you came to the table and you put down your book and you looked up and I glanced at you and we caught eyes 
And that means something to me because all of those tiny little things that happened show me that you care. So we qualify it with our value and our values are personal. We can qualify it with any value. It's whatever value I decide to qualify it as. That's the prerogative of the giver. Yeah. But the person receiving is received in facts first. So again, you walked in the door, you put down your book, you looked up and looked me in the eye. And when you did that, I felt cared for. I just gave you the uh, value that's important to me. Or you showed kindness or I felt respected. I I felt noticed. Um, What becomes so important are the facts. You can just say facts and that still energizes. People think it's awkward, but honestly, it's like the most natural thing we do. We just don't practice it when nothing's going wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Because again, it's natural when people are angry, whether they say it out loud or not, or hurt, they're fact-finding the whole time. They're thinking about every tiny detail of what went wrong. You know, it's very natural to do. Right, so there's tuning into the actual details of what Mm -hmm. you're noticing and naming them. Mm -hmm. And... And how do you draw the connection, for instance, between and, you know, you did all these things and what that means to me is that you care about me or like what, you know, where it might seem sort of tenuous, like, well, how did my coming in and setting my book down on the counter? I mean, I'm just thinking of like the classic example would be you came in, you put your shit down on the table and I got pissed because I've been trying to clean the house all day and now there's more shit on the table. You know, it's like, so how do you turn that into these these elements that really don't necessarily have a meaning attached to them unless, Mm -hmm. you know, a partner is maliciously like putting things on the table to disrupt the cleanliness of the house or something like that. Um, Yeah. How do you draw that connection in a way that Mm -hmm. feels genuine? Yeah, that's a great question. First of all, it won't in the beginning feel genuine. So I'll just throw that out for a second because um, we kind of do have to fake it till we make it. Like there's something about, getting the brain to be comfortable saying these words, fact-finding, and then putting positive things on it is going to be awkward. So both partners have to be responsive, although I've seen relationships change because one partner just decides to go for it and the other one doesn't even involve themselves at all. The intention is what counts. So first of all, the integrity to be working towards change and to be saying, I'm going to deliberately focus on what's going right. I'm just going to focus on it as hard as it might seem rather than making up stories because we're either finding facts or we're making up stories. It's pretty much what our brain does. We find facts or we make up stories. We're doing it all the time anyway. So I can find the facts and make up a story of something great or I can find the facts and make up a story of something horrible. We're really is awkward to find the facts and say good things about them for a lot of us. Even those people who are positive, it's awkward because we usually aren't being that specific. And so, you know, a couple could do a, there's a couple options. You know, if the couple together is on board, then they together might decide, let's focus on kindness and respect for a month and let's just look for it everywhere we can. And let's energize each other anywhere from one to 20 times a day in any way that we see kindness and respect in each other mm-hmm. and even ourselves. Like I can do it for myself. Like today I did this thing and it was, I was an act of kindness and 
here's the five facts of what I did. I saw somebody fall down. I stopped over to see if they were okay. I waited for their friend to come get to them who was at the car, you know, and then I, but I showed kindness. So it can be, it can be, uh, there needs to be an agreement on some level if you do it that way, because I think it's, it's helpful for partners to both get on board. And yet, you know, if you can't have that agreement, it's really just one person drawing from wherever they can find. So you can be spontaneous and just say whatever comes to mind. You can have um, teachers in classrooms and parents sometimes put words all over like the ceiling and the wall and the refrigerators and they, they just look for a word. It's like, okay, I'm going to look for the facts. You just sat down at the table and now you put your fork down and now you're looking at me and all of a sudden I'm like, I have a moment to create something, but I don't know what to do. And so I look up and I'm like, oh, 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 I see. I have 10 choices. Okay, that shows me I'm going to choose respect, for example. And all of this sounds kind of trite, but or maybe awkward and weird as it is. But my experience is that when we deliberately focus on building the muscle of positivity and energizing and caring about our values, it takes off like wildfire in no time. Like it really, in a couple weeks, it's natural. We want it. We want to be acknowledged. It's a primal need to be valued, to be loved. And that's one reason why I think the facts are so important is that one kind of like what you were saying earlier, it's grounding it in a reality. So it's, um, you know, that part of you that wants to discount what your partner is saying. Mm-hmm. It, 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 well, I can't argue with the fact that I came in the house and I set down my briefcase and I looked at you like those things did happen. So it's, right. you know, it, it kind of messes with that part of the circuitry that otherwise yep. might say, no, I don't believe you. And, uh, and also I want to just point out that because I think you listening probably, you have a sense that I'm an, a pretty positive person. In fact, I think I've probably even said those words. Um, <laughs> and this is hard. This has been hard for me to put into practice regularly. Um, even coming from a positive place, like just uh-huh. to, so I like that you use that analogy of building a muscle. Uh-huh. And, and breaking it down to its constituent components. Mm-hmm. It, is, so, it is like working out. So if we think of it like we're going to put an exercise plan in our life, we know that exercising is healthy for us. And we also know that not exercising over a long, long, long period of time will cause a problem. So if we look at the relationship and we say we want to build this muscle, then we know that if we exercise the muscle of seeing each other believing, and I would say the Ultimately, the muscle is, can I believe in you? And it it helps the person giving maybe even more than person receiving. It's like when I look at you and I can remember that you're a kind person and I can look at you and I can say, whoa, that was so like that little thing you did that you do all the time. It can count. It actually counts for something incredible about you. Then I also have some fortitude to remember like, wait a minute, I'm not seeing you clearly when all I see is the bad thing. Right. and build my muscle. So it really is like an exercise. And I encourage people often they'll start out or they'll, you know, with like a week at a time. And then, you know, I encourage like tracking it a little bit and resetting it as a bigger picture too. like the couple can do this for two weeks and then sit down and talk about how it's going and then put it back in place and do it again. 
um, just to try to think like, okay, I need to keep this going. And how do we do that? It does build on itself. Like the reservoir of goodness begins to take effect and it can have a couple things happen. One time, I mean, one time, not one time, but many times I see partners actually temporarily feel worse because they're like, oh my God, this is terrible. I have like never been acknowledged my whole life and I'm starting to feel some sadness about not being seen so many times. And yet I'm not angry at my partner and I'm not sad about them. It might bring up the emotions that are underneath the conflicts that are more personal to each person. Mm. And, you know, other times it just like feeds a part of the the kind of need on such a deep level that people start to relax with each other, you know, and they start to realize like, oh, we could actually enjoy each other. Yeah, yeah. And that makes me think about how important this is in a triggered moment mm-hmm. and and why this, I guess what my brain is doing right now is it's forming the connection again between, right, I feel, I feel seen by my partner and I actually feel very seen when I'm getting the facts. Right. Because it's like, that's, that is what is happening right now. It's, yeah. I'm not getting the story. I'm getting all of your attention really. Right. And so receiving that is so nourishing and then coming back to that in a triggered moment, um, reminds you, cause I think you're not, you're not really in your body so much when you're triggered. So again, it's another way that you're reminded, Oh, wait a minute. I'm like, I, one, I actually exist because it could be a reminder. Like I'm hearing that I, you know, I just put my hand down on the cushion and that reminds me that I, for one thing, have a fucking hand and there, and there it is on the cushion. And mm-hmm. right, right. It's like bringing me back to me in those right. moments. Well, present, it's bringing you into presence for present time. So and if that's the body, that's incredible because you're right. We do, uh, we do uh, disconnect from our body awareness when we're in pain. That's very normal to have happened. So this idea that we could like bring each other into present time. You know, one thing I'll say is like our. Pro- it's interesting. Most of the time, we're having a problem with our partners in our own head. So like we could have a conflict, and that conflict can last ten minutes or an hour. I mean, often the conflict lasts this ten or fifteen minute thing. And then for an hour, we feel awful, maybe two hours. And then it, who knows what happens? Maybe we go off to work and come home. Maybe we get distracted. But what happens is it doesn't leave our brain. And so our brain is thinking about our partner from the lens of that moment for hours and hours, if not weeks and days and years. And so we catalog that. And that's how I think of you. And so then I see you in this moment and I'm not really seeing you in this moment free from any other moment. This moment is packed with like 80 million other things. So this idea that we can like pull ourselves and our partners back into present time, which is like, even if we had a conflict an hour ago, and this is why I like resetting and coming back to energizing, you know, especially if there's already been energizing as a backdrop, then when we come back, it's like, let me just get in this moment now, because maybe that thing's not resolvable. Maybe I did something to hurt your feelings. Maybe you hurt my feelings. 
maybe I can't even fix that thing. Maybe that's not the goal is to try to go fix the problem we had. But at least if I could come back here and remember, like, you're still a person sitting across from me. And probably now you're not actually like doing anything that bad anymore. (laughs) You know, (laughs) now you actually might just be sitting there eating food or watching TV or walking the dog. You know, it's like, and I am losing all of these moments of freedom that I get to reclaim by recognizing that the present time is not still filled with that conflict. Mm -hmm. So it does this amazing lensing of coming back and checking, like, are we still in crisis or not? Again, you know, there's this thing about what do you do with the problem? And it, and it, gosh, I could, I could, I think I probably have two weeks worth of teleclasses I could talk to you about. (laughs) (laughs) My brain is filled with so much. Um, because there's a question of what we do with the problem and what we do with those conflicts we can't resolve because we'll have them. We all have them. And how to hold that and come back to energizing and then know how to come back to the problem in a healthy way, right? Right. Um, but there's this whole idea of like, can we build this uh, reservoir so full that we can bounce back from the problems so that when we approach them, we actually have the space to approach them in a more healthy way? Right, right. Because when you have the backdrop of safety supporting you as you enter a conversation about a problem, that's way different than entering a conversation about a problem feeling like you're about to drop a bomb or right. something and you, like that. Yeah. And you might get triggered exactly the same as soon as it comes up again. And, and you may not be able to resolve that. And you may then have to bounce back and reset again. And what I would say is that that's the, the way of building health and the dynamic is to recognize your limits. Like sometimes we really can't solve that problem and we're going to need help or we're going to need space or time to reflect or maybe we're missing a whole pile of information we haven't even thought of yet. So when we, when we keep having that same... Uh, like injury or hurt recall when the pain keeps coming back every time we approach the problem it's good information it's like oh wow we really do have a conflict we can't resolve yet you know and so what are we going to do about that yeah and how do you let's say you have something like that in your relationship how do you hold on to the the energy of growth and change and just and trusting in the unfolding, mm-hmm. even though you know that that problem is still there and unresolved. Right. Right. And that would be, you know, where you orient the values of the relationship. Um, it, bring, it Again, it brings me to so many other pieces that are just part of the scaffolding. And, and um, I won't spend too much time here. And, it's, um, and I am about to launch a teleclass or actually by the time this call is, is um, put out, the teleclass will have happened on relationships, parenting in particular, energizing, but also relationships and energizing and the containers. Because there is like, how do we put together a container that allows room to assess whether or not we're safe together? And, you know, what are the pieces we put in place, including energizing? How do we create a backdrop like, do we need to be in a constant crisis in order to prove that the relationship is good or bad? Like some of us are, are staying in constant crisis because we're trying to prove that we have permission to leave. But, but I don't even know if that's required. Like, I think you could have an energized set of values in a relationship and still hit a precipice where you decide 
for yourself or someone else that the relationship's not healthy because those conflicts are unresolvable. Sometimes there are deal breakers, right? Mm -hmm. And, but if I come back and I say like, wow, how do I want to live every day of my life? And how do I want to be in charge of me? You know, the the most empowering way to live is through that lens of, I'm going to look for my values. I'm going to see them in other people. I'm going to recognize what's going right. That doesn't make me delusional. I'm not going to pretend there aren't conflicts, but I'm going to step into my conflicts intentionally so that I have the fortitude to handle them and the strength to handle them. You know, what does that look like? Yeah. And, and that's one thing that I love about tying it into your values is that, that it's part of reinforcing, uh, like when you say values, what I'm hearing is this is the way, this is the way that I operate. These are the things that I've, the principles that I've decided are important to me right. that I've chosen for right. how, you know, the guiding force in my, right. in my life. And so those are things that aren't circumstantial as opposed right. to, you know, we've talked on the show before about, um, appreciations as a great, uh-huh. uh, way of creating positive energy in your relationship. And yet appreciations can be somewhat circumstantial, um, uh-huh. You know, right. I appreciate this thing about you. Um, it's, yeah, almost conditional. Right. And this is really coming into unconditional um, focus, you know, on, again, the, I could think what's going right. You know, love itself is this essence that we get to play in. And the actions that we do can be loving. And energizing is like all this buildup of loving, kind actions that we put in place so that we can feel that essence permeate through us of the the love that we're looking for. Most of us choose our partners because there's some value already aligned that we saw somewhere conscious or unconscious. There's something in the way they move or operate or their lifestyle that, that at least we thought or we hoped or we felt would inspire us and match, you know, something fundamentally important to, to ourselves. And so they're in there already. Like we, we're already thinking through those lenses. You know, we're looking for people, partners who can nourish that part of ourselves or each other or, or bring wholeness to some parts of who we are. And so this, this focus is not so much, again, about being Pollyanna, I'm going to say a whole bunch of nice things, or about being um, positive because I want to manipulate you. And there's always a caution, like somebody likes, there's people that like to do the energizing because I'm hoping that, It'll stop you from getting mad at me later. And and that's not what it's about either. It's about being present. And it's about really focusing on what's important in the moment. And again, that cataloging, actively fact-finding into the moment. And at first, people think there's not enough facts, but there's millions of them. We're changing every second, you know? So fact-finding into the moment and then and then imbuing it with something important, with a, something that feels so important to me, teaches you about me. So when I say, whoa, when you do those seven things and I feel cared for, I just taught you a formula about what care means to me. And if I do that again 20 different times in 20 ways, you now understand what caring means to me. Like you might be a really caring person and I might not feel it because you might not understand what caring means to me. Mm-hmm. And... 
And how do we define, how do we teach each other about ourselves? Well, that's the overarching feeling in this, which is like, I get to expose myself to you and show you what's important to me. And I get to see it in you and dig for it and play with it and reveal really myself to you through energizing, but also really show up and see you as a whole person who I can value for just existing, you know, and and that, that level of I value you for existing falls away pretty quickly after the honeymoon, right? Right. I mean, and when we meet with somebody, we're so curious and we do energize a lot. And if you think about the beginning of relationships, a lot of times people are a lot more generous with like, oh my God, you showed up at my door and knocked and, and waited for me and I opened the door and, and, you, and you brought flowers and I feel so loved, you know, like, and then for some reason, you know, three months later, you knock on the door and... I don't notice anymore. I'm like, why are you knocking? Just come in. You're annoying. So, (laughs) you know, it's like we're in the beginning, we're looking for the evidence that you're our one true love and that you are perfect for us and that you're amazing. And so we're restoring that goodness. And we're not, again, we're not getting delusional. We're still recognizing we're actually using it so that we can see clearly, so that we can have space from the problem, so that we can look at them with more objectivity and intentionality and focus on whether or not those issues are, are, we need tools to resolve those issues or not, right? Yeah, there are a couple of things that are jumping out at me right now. One is, I'm thinking about the distortions that do happen that, like, sometimes people do get stuck in that initial, I found evidence that you're an amazing person, despite all the, like, buckets of evidence that you're actually truly dangerous for me and mm-hmm. and they get stuck there and so there yeah. are the you know they don't leave situations yeah. or try to solve problems that really either ought to be solved or or you ought to find a way out yeah um right. or on the flip side you could be in a situation that's not so um cataclysmic but you're stuck in that that danger and am I safe? Both of those end up being distortions that I see mm-hmm. as I'm working with yep. clients. Yeah. Um, and so I love that you that you brought that out. The ways that we're that we are always looking for evidence of some sort or another. Mm-hmm. And um, and there's one important thing that I want to go back to in the fact finding and creating a value and the, and how that works, why that works in a triggered moment. And, and this is something that I just wanted to share because Mm -hmm. I found it to be so profoundly helpful, which is, you know, you could think like, all right, I'm in a triggered moment. And, and so I'm going to energize my partner. I'm going to do all this fact finding and I'm going to say, you know, in that, you know, tells me that you love me or that tells me that you care about me or that tells me that you're still here even though we're fighting right now. Um, and, and it's tempting to think that I'm doing that for the other person mm-hmm. versus my experience of it, which is when I'm really triggered by focusing on the facts of the moment and how that connects to my values, that actually helps restore me back to balance. So even though it's sort of directed at the other person or the other person is the subject of everything that I'm saying, the effect is actually, oh, I'm presencing myself and bringing myself back online. Right. Right. And we have the opportunity to just energize ourselves. You know, 
I think the only thing about noting a triggered moment is if there's enough trigger that one person needs space, then that space has to happen before the energizing can come in. So when I'm the partner that when I'm triggered, I want more connection, I might start energizing like crazy, but I could torture the partner who feels trapped and is like, Mm -hmm. can you just stop talking, right? In that case, I might do better energizing, walking away and energizing myself or walking away and energizing my partner, like writing it down, writing down the five things I want to say, fact finding, put it together, resetting my own brain first, and then giving them that download when they're ready. So I love having a kind of reset protocol. I like people being able to say, hey, when someone throws that red flag in on the the, um, moment we're in, on the play that's going on, you know, like, let's, let's throw the red flag in. That means that, and this is good to set up before you're in a trigger, but that means that we get to take an hour and actually not talk to each other and then come back. And when we come back, the agreement is to energize. That's our way back in which is to really focus on what's going, what a moment that something went right. Um, And I like it being in the moment as close as possible. Yeah. If you have a dynamic where that, you know, where the trigger is not so intense simultaneously and I'm triggered, but maybe my partner's not even triggered at all. It's the best thing in the world for me to do is energize my partner because it gets me back on track. You know, like instead of standing there, staying triggered at somebody who maybe they didn't even know they did anything. They just walked by with, you know, brushed into my arm at the wrong time and I took it as them being in my way or something, you know. Um, I then get to reset myself by energizing that person and that's so powerful. It's so powerful. Yeah, I was also just struck by the thought of how powerful it is if So if you're someone who tends to lean in in a triggered moment, you're looking for connection as a way of staying safe mm-hmm. and you're partnered with someone who needs a little space so that they don't feel overwhelmed. Um, what's, what's often challenging about that is it's hard to walk away and give your partner space because in your world, what giving space means is I don't care about you. Mm-hmm. And so I see this as like a perfect opportunity for the energizing to, for you. So like if I'm the, the lean inner mm-hmm. and, and I'm, and I'm like recognizing, okay, in this moment, my partner needs some space. So I'm going to energize myself. I'm getting up. I'm walking away from the table. And this shows me how much I actually care about my partner. You know, to counteract the fear that I'm getting up, you know, and the flip side, it would be I'm getting up, I'm walking away, and this communicates to my partner, you know, how how much I'm rejecting them, which is what the experience would be of someone who wants connection, connection right? in those moments. Does that or, make sense? Totally, totally making sense. And the partner who's the person, so we have uh, over-attachment and... Um, you know, over-independence, really. Like, we have this attachment abandonment slash attachment entrapment that happens all over the place. I mean, I don't know how we can't be working that out. Like, we literally, as I said before, we're, we're like, we're fused through a body. Like we come in total enmeshment, you know, and then stretch into independence. And all the things that happen as we find ourselves as independent from our caregivers early on, you know, are all parts of these attachment paradigms that we're in, right? And so as you're talking, I'm thinking about, yeah, that person who wants to overattach, I need to cling on. 
And partly I don't want you to abandon me, so I never want to abandon you. You know, so I'm like grabbing on that idea that I can take that feeling of staying connected and put it someplace. I'm going to write it down and hold it and treasure it and love it and energize by putting it on this piece of paper or this place that I can bring to you when you're ready. The the work it takes for that person who's unattaching, who doesn't want to unattach, is that they're also terrified that the other person is never going to come back. So mm-hmm. when you have an agreement to come back to energizing and you have experiences that build again like a muscle, like you separate out, you give the person space and they come back and energize you when they come back from their hour, two hours or day they need to take off because their brain is so flooded they can't focus, you know, they come back and they actually come back with connection. It appeases both partners, you know, both people feel like, oh, there's the connection I was looking for. So I get safer at giving you space. Right knowing that I'm coming back to something I need and that you're going to meet my need when we come back. So we're meeting our needs for connection. So it's all this like this interplay of also having the, a healthy, I think a lot of us don't think we're ever going to fight again. Like we have a big fight and we never want it to happen again. <laughs> so we go into some part of the brain that's like, oh good, that's, I, I just, I'm going to pretend that's never going to happen. And then when it happens, we're surprised again and we're totally overwhelmed, <laughs> you know? So the idea that you could have a structure that's like, hey, let's plan on it. Let's build a bank account of investments and in our positivity and our values and our energize ourselves like crazy as a backdrop, because someday we're going to have, if not every day, a little bit, we're going to have these triggers kick in and we get a need to know how to draw from the well to balance that. And let's have a plan for when we're triggered so that we can actually have a protocol set in place, like a an idea of what's going to happen when that takes into account two people's needs so that we, it's already scheduled. So like if we hit the trigger, I'm not wondering what's going to happen next. I'm like, Oh, I know what we're going to do. In three hours, we're going to come back and talk to each other. And we might agree that we can't deal with the topic, but at least we can come back to the toolbox. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm getting distracted by this weird, yeah, this energy of something different that's coming up and, Maybe before I bring that up, I want to just give you an opportunity because you mentioned the class that you're about to teach. Mm-hmm. So, um, if you're, if you're interested in finding out more about Gabrielli and her work, and we've, it's funny because we focus on so much of the practical stuff here and, mm-hmm. and yet, you know, it's so much more than that. Um, and in fact, that's, where I, that's where my, my head and, and next question is going. But mm-hmm. if you're interested in finding out more about Gabrielli's work, you can visit gabrielli.org and there's a bunch of free stuff there for you. And just a little bit more about what the class is going to be, Gabrielli? Sure. It's, um, it'll, it'll be four teleclasses, each an hour and a half long. And, um, the teleclasses themselves will be designed to break down more about energizing, but really to look at value-based relationships. How do we establish them? What does it look like? Where is the essence? What are we feeding? So for me, it's a whole, it's layered with both tools, resources, ideas, and concepts. And also within that, there'll be an opportunity for some really powerful healing. So the healing that takes place in being able to look at how we actually dissolve on the emotional, energetic, mental planes, these contracts we get into or the hiccups or the um, triggers that get triggered that may or may not be about our partners, right? And so how to resolve some of that together. So we'll both do some healing work on that and we'll I'll, I'll really download a bunch of just like practical sort of the outline of how we establish healthier relationships from this paradigm. 
Awesome. Awesome. I'm sure it will be a really powerful class. So I encourage you to, to check that out. And uh, the, the link will be available in the transcript for this episode, which you can get by visiting neilsatin.com slash infinity and then the number two. So infinity two. And uh, speaking of infinity, that mm-hmm. is the name of Gabrielli's a modality that Chloe and I have been studying with her for a number of years now, infinity healing practice. And that's why we're using infinity uh, for the, mm-hmm. uh, for this show. And, and it makes me think about this concept of being, instead of being like a, a body with a, you know, with a, like an energetic being sort of stuck inside it of, of actually being an infinite energetic being with a body. And when you're talking about the relationship that we're experiencing with other people and the power of energizing, I'm thinking about how so much of the healing work that happens is about resolving some of the dichotomies between feeling that that infinite potential in who we are and then the limitations that our body gives us. And, and yeah, so that just like pushed me into this whole another Uh place. I don't Uh know how much time we have really at this Uh point. You tell me, Uh Um, but that's where, that's where, what was distracting me because I got really excited to think about, oh yeah, there's that inner relationship that challenges so many of us where we feel like, wait a minute, what I'm doing right now or what I'm seeing manifest in how I act or in, in how my body is and the conditions that I have, the pain or whatever it is, like that's not in alignment with my own <laughs> values about what I want for my life and, you know, um, that's... Um- yeah, I'm, to- I'm going to dive. This is so beautiful. Thank you for saying that. And I'm, I'm going to just dive into what's coming up for me. Um, yes, yes, yes. First of all, yes, we are these tiny, really tiny little bodies. And the body is just the center of an infinite being. And our beings, the essence, some people call that the spirit. It's like we're all essence. You know, that being is, um, it's not human. It doesn't get broken by our human experiences, the being is this like platform where we can find intuition and knowing and awareness and perception. And so we have this powerful being at our fingertips. And I tell you, I think that what happens is when we fall in love, we ignite that essence. Like we feel the container of being held. If we think about being on just a soul and a being with no body and we come into a form, we merge into this form, but then we're situated in the, in the essence and the potency of our mother's whatever that looks like, you know, and we're inside of another whole person. So to think there's a couple cells that's, that are in this huge complex organism that is surrounding, caring for, building, nurturing, and growing us. So we're grown into kind of this idea that we're one thing inside of another is what we always know. So when we're finally just our own little form, it's like this sense of I'm a, I'm a, I'm a body, I'm a center of an infinite being that becomes my lifetime's uh, gift of a womb. You know, I get to re-womb myself over and over and over and over again. And we can get very body conscious because the body is the place where we feel it's a simple kind of complex enclosed structure. Uh, And so many of us derive healing when we remember like, oh, I'm a body, but I have this resource to stretch into. 
I really believe that we fall in love and uh, some of the distortions that happen that are so beautiful are the fantasies that somehow you're going to be my being. Like I'm going to get in you and you're going to like provide all those things that are going to make me feel safe. And so we step into this paradigm of falling in love and we feel so much essence in that. And it's this powerful feeling. And, And for some of us, we get lost in that because we get so lost in the being that we don't recognize that the human that we're with as a person doesn't actually match anything that makes us safe in life. So, you know, it's like the, the facts of the two bodies and we need both things in a relationship. We need two bodies that when they're together have similar enough values and structures and habits that we actually can be safe in the human complex, but yet very simple structure. And then we need two essences or beings that can merge and harmonize and create a pulse of of, um, energy and spirit to derive from that feeds beyond that factual form, right? Mm -hmm. Energizing is about really bringing alive the beingness of one another. For me, that what that does over time is that you live it and you get to see more clearly, like, well, who are we as these little factual human structures? Like, can we be safe in human form? Can we be beings that can be that aware and that connected to one another? So, so that's what you brought in for me is just like this whole, you know, if I'm, if I don't need to wait, it's like, if I don't put on my partner, the responsibility of being every parent that I didn't have or fixing everything that ever happened to me or somehow being God for me, really like saving me in some way, then how do I have a relationship with someone where we can equally hold the potency of each of our essences and also have ourselves, you know, it's like, how do I do my own work in that? So if I am the center of an infinite being and I can derive all my needs from that being, what is the purpose of relationship? So I think there's a real confusion in our culture about why we're doing love and falling in love in and of itself has a sense that it rescues us from something or saves us or look at all the movies. It's like you get fixed, you know, as if, <laughs> as if you become whole because of someone else. And that's really kind of unfair. We torture each other with that. So how do two people harmonize, you know, into a dynamic where the dichotomy of being human and being powerful beings can allow us to see clearly what safety looks like and what our real needs are, Right. 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 And can we be developing that the inner safety? I love that that image of us, like our energetic being creating the womb for our body to keep growing and being nurtured. And um, so how do we do that over and over again to create safety for ourselves? And then how do we bring that with integrity to our partnership and our relationship. Right. Right. And what does it look like when you're both seeing the factual body? So this is where I love the blend of, you know, what this tool has done for me and sort of where it meets infinity. Because what I see when we energize is that we fact find the body. That's the body experience, body consciousness. I'm fact finding the human. I see you in real time on earth in a body. And then I imbue it with essence, which is all beingness. It's like, I I also see your being and your body is an expression of that being all the time, 100% of the time. So to me, energizing was a platform for so much 
uh, healthy embodiment and, and, and communion between beings and bodies. I see you as your whole body with this being, this essence and energy that, again, never gets broken. So it's always there no matter who your partner is. You know, for those of us who fell in love, and this was me, I fell in love with potential. I went all being and I couldn't see the facts of the body. The person wasn't healthy for me as a physical form on earth. I loved their essence, right? Mm. And some people love someone's body, but their essence is totally not matching anything. Or they're not even, maybe the person doesn't even want that or have that, or they're not even attending to it, right? So we get lost in that paradigm, but what if we could have both? What if we could have both? And what if we become the vehicle for each other? Like in my partnership of, you know, almost 14 years, I feel like that's what we've done. We're like the vehicle for each other to remember who we are and all these levels, you know, that we're still energizing all the time. And we've lived through a fair share of different kinds of things in our things that have happened in our families and traumas. And, and uh, you know, it's like the bounce back is so strong because, that's the human life being lived, but the, the almost like we created a being that is our relationship all by itself. Our beings are harmonized in support of each other. And I always, always see the best in him in terms of, like, I don't think he's trying to hurt me. If I'm getting hurt, something's happening. That doesn't mean I can't ask for change. But I don't believe as a person he's wanting to take me down, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so with that, I'm wondering if there's an invocation or a clearing that comes to you as a way to maybe create an offering for everyone listening, whether sure. they're in relationship or single, but that that helps them experience what we're talking about. I think we're never if, if anybody's listening to this call, they're in relationship. We're never not in relationship and we always get to do the work of relationship, whether we're sharing our bodies with someone else or not. So the first thing I would say is, you know, what does it take to honor that relationship isn't just the one beloved I choose to be sexual with, you know, but it's it's or the however many, you know, we share in that way. But that relationship is is an inside job that's happening. We're in relation to the world all the time and this relationship first and primary to like my body and my own being becomes a relationship I get to have with this can I allow my divine essence and my own higher self nurture the parts of me that are still just human and hurt and in pain and struggling and walking and breathing right so I guess I would um from that perspective, I would just invite that. And if, 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 if there's so much, there's a whole body of knowledge about infinity that I'm not going to get into, but I will invite that if um, you're willing, whoever you are, and you're listening, and you would like to breathe the possibility that more awareness of the complexity of who you are as a body and a being would be a guiding force to showing up in relationships for to bring a beloved in or to be in the ones you have um, that we can clear anything that blocks you from choosing, choosing to energize yourself first. And so what does it take to know that as a body, you're the center of an infinite being and that all awareness, intuition, guidance, perception is yours to have and that you get to liberate anything anybody's ever told you about yourself and you get to know, feel, perceive and receive you for who you are right now in this moment. The facts of you're listening to a call because you chose to 
because something was important to you. The fact that you're still listening to the call (laughs) or again or again and breathing in the gratitude to yourself for choosing you, even if it's on behalf of choosing someone else. And we will clear anything just energetically that blocks you from seeing, then feeling that grace and activate change and generate healing. And immediately we can take a breath together. And exhale fully. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, this like, what does it, what does it take to be willing to be wrong? You know, means like, what if we didn't live relationships just based on who's right or wrong? And we actually could live in the essence together. So that, that's what comes up for me. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Thank you. <laughs> and, uh, and thank you for listening to another episode of Relationship Alive. If you are interested in downloading the transcript for this episode, you can visit neilsatin.com slash infinity2. And you can also text the word passion to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. Um, and we can send you a link to the transcript for this episode. And if you want to find out more about Gabrielli and her work, which has been so powerful and helpful for me and Chloe, both in our own lives and in our relationship together, you can visit Gabrielli.org. And, uh, and if you want to get the free first module of the new class that Gabrielli is teaching, uh, visit gabrielli.org slash relationship alive. I think that covers everything. So Gabrielli LaChiara, thank you so much for being here with us and sharing your, your techniques and your strategies as well as your, your wisdom and insight around how we function as humans in relationship and what's possible for us. Thank you, Neil. It's so lovely to be here. And thank you all for listening. Thank you for listening to another episode of Relationship Alive. If you like what you've heard and want to make it easier for other people to find out about us, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and to rate and review us on iTunes. If you have questions or comments or want to continue the conversation, you can always join our Relationship Alive community Facebook group. And for more information about today's episode, visit us online at neilsatin.com slash podcast. Or you can always text the word passion, P-A-S-S-I-O-N, to the number 33444 for more information. Finally, do you have a burning question that you're hoping we can have answered here on Relationship Alive, either for a future or past guest? Let me know and I'll see what I can do. Take care and see you next time.